0: Welcome to the Kyle Coster show presented by the big lead coming to you as promised the day after Chris Mad Dog Russo appeared on first take with Stephen A. Smith, two Titans going at it as hard as they can. It was the Super Bowl of sports shouting television and folks it delivered here with me is Liam McKeon. He watched the entire episode. We're going to be diving into it segment by segment with our thoughts, our observations, and more than anything, just our honest appreciation to see two artists at this level trading blows because Liam, in all seriousness here, I thought that yesterday's episode was everything that I want from that show. Now, I don't know if it needs to be five days a week of that, but I have never seen Stephen A with, a combatant who brought out the best in him and also who I enjoyed hearing what they had to say. And honestly, you can make the argument that Russo is better than Stephen A. Smith at his own game, which is crazy, but it kind of makes sense because Smith being a veteran of mad dog radio kind of learned from that. That's how he built his empire and to have those two coming together, magic, magic, How are you feeling? Are your ears still ringing as if you were tuning guitars for a Pantera concert? Are you hydrated? What even happened yesterday?
1: Working on the hydration, working on the eardrums ringing, it's a process for sure. It was the best sports debate television I have ever seen. I mean you're not tuning into first take for nuance. I think everybody listening to this podcast who cares about this sort of thing knows that and understands that. And it can be fun to have these nuanced discussions sometimes, but you're really just tuning in to see two sides clash over something that more often than not does not really matter all that much. And there are no two people on earth better than, at that than Stephen A. Smith and Chris Maddog Russo. It was, I have never seen two men on the same screen who are so capable of conjuring such immediate fiery passion at a moment's notice over absolutely nothing. It was incredible. It was remarkable. It I mean, I think a lot of people might hearken it back to the days of Stephen A. versus Skip Bayless when they were, you know, in their heyday on ESPN. But it's nothing like that because while Stephen A. has slowly evolved into kind of a Mad Dog-esque yelling, shouting character, Skip was never really that. He was kind of the cool, calm, collected, you know, fat-dishing sort of guy. This is something that we haven't really seen on First date before. It's something that... He's going up against a guy who's just as talented and just as skilled as he is in the art of sports shouting. It was truly amazing. It really makes me excited for when, because you know, Mad Dog's starting the first week in March. He's going to be on every Wednesday for the foreseeable future. And it's gonna, it just makes me really excited for the doldrums of the summertime when first take is really just dying for anything to talk about as the news cycle goes dry. They can just let Stephen A and Mad Dog loose and it is the pinnacle of sports talk show entertainment. That was my just overall takeaways from two hours of watching it with my TV volume on single digits.
0: Yeah. And I think the reason why it works so well is that Russo is likable in a way that Skip Bayless isn't in a way that Max Kellerman really isn't like when I watch it, I'm rooting for him because like I have such a fondness and an affinity for what he does. He is a volume shooter. He used to have a a six hour show on the radio and then he would get mad when he got preempted for a Mets pregame He is just capable of going on and on and never tiring. He's the energizer bunny. And I do think that he comes from a good place because even when he's making a point that you don't agree with, like there's something affable and open about him where it's like you don't really get mad. And more than that, the thing about Russo is yes, he might be animated and he might go to those wrestling heel extremes but I think that he believes it so much more than anybody else. Who's doing it in the game right now. I think everybody in the game is kind of trying to model what they do after what he did. But the problem is it's not nearly as authentic because if you listen to Russo at all and you catch him in the afternoon, he is perfectly willing to do that about the San Francisco giants, middle relievers for five segments and to carry that energy. So You know, it's coming from a place of authenticity and you also know where it's coming. It's coming from a place of he's not going to get mad about it. Like, I feel like he clicks in and out of it where it's just like, this is just what we're doing. This is how you consume sports. I don't think he knows any other way. I think he thinks that ramping it up to 11 and doing what he's doing the ultimate sports radio guy is the only way to consume it or perhaps that he's perfected it. So I think that like, he is exactly what this show needs the exact counterbalance to Stephen A, because I really think that the public is all on Russo's side, even though we recognize Stephen A as being one of the most talented people in the industry.
1: Yeah. I think that is really the biggest difference between Russo and Stephen A watching them on screen together yesterday was that, When Stephen A cares about something, you can really tell. Like when he legitimately believes in the take that he's spewing, you can really feel his energy get behind it. But then sometimes he'll say some stuff that you can, you know, the smirk, this, you know, classic Stephen A smirk comes out, you know, that he's just kind of saying it just because he knows it. It'll incite some debate and he'll have fun with it. Russo just doesn't have that switch. I mean, Russo will sincerely be very, very upset that the Lakers coach from the fifties who coached George Mike and wasn't included on the NBA's top 15 coaches of all time list while doc rivers was like, I consider myself a pretty passionate basketball fan. And I never heard of that guy. And Russo is reaching a voice volume and pitch that I thought was not possible together in the process of doing it. And I mean, that's just, I mean, these guys watching these guys debate, even, They have this 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 zero to 100 quality that all the best sports shouters possess that even one slight aside comment sparks a roaring fire of an argument that could completely change the course of the show. And that's, I think, part of the reason why the entertainment value is going to be so high here is that. When you normally watch first take, you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get every day. If you pay attention to sports, you know what the stories of the day are. And then when each segment starts, it follows a pretty formulaic outline, right? With Russo there, Stephen A. Smith and Russo are going to go on these riffs and tangents, I think, that are going to go the last five to ten minutes over the most incomprehensible debate topics. It's going to make for great television. That is great television. I mean, nothing's at stake here. This is really just the joy in the art of debating. That is what we are doing. That's what we're watching is two men who have made their money off of arguing about sports at very loud volumes. and They've turned it into an art. They are, they put the artist in hot take artist. It's, it really worked. I think it's going to work great. I think it was a brilliant idea by ESPN to get him on there. I said that when he uh, came on in January to talk about Barry Bonds. And I'm really glad that they managed to do it because I think it makes first take that much more entertaining, especially where it is right now, where it's kind of Stephen A. Smith versus a rotating cast of characters.
0: Yeah, they started in so hot. Uh, They went right to the montage of Russo on WFAN, the greatest hits with the footage like it would have been. I I don't know, like you would just pop something into a VHS. And I just had this bask of warm feeling come over me where I'm like, Oh, this is the legend. He is back. It's almost like seeing like this 49 year old pitcher is going to be coming in to throw game five of the ALCS. And they're going back to like stuff he did 20 years ago. And you're like, Oh, this guy still has his fastball. Oh. And he's been working on a new off-speed pitch It was just magic from the beginning. They dove right in. The first segment they go to is James Harden and Russo has been notoriously hard on the Mercurial Superstar. Smith has been a bit more receptive, but they just dove right into it. And it took like 15 seconds for them to butt heads. And it's so crazy because it's like, this set the the standard for the rest of the show where it's like there's like a reset button every 90 seconds i noticed a tick with one of these people where it's almost like they are respawned and they're alive for the first time on set and they just snap into a mode where they're going to be doing an argument or latching onto whatever's going on because it's like they're a totally different person than they were five seconds ago. And it comes out of left field and they're just raring to go. And yes, it's contrived and yes, it's silly, but there is nobody else can do this. There's nobody else that can do this. And I say that after watching so many bad cable news shows over the last six years that have tried to take this format and run with it. They are not like this. Like it's, it's like their minority report replicants or whatever like in that goo and then all of a sudden they gasp up and on this red ball of content comes rolling out and they just start butting heads right away and molly kiram who announced the show you saw her at first but then i she disappeared for a long time it's like you talk about a, a pass first point guard she never got the ball back it, it seemed she maybe had 14 seconds time of possession over a two hour show. The Harden conversation is perfect too, because it is one that's new to the NBA about player empowerment, taking it to this level, but it's so classic where Russo is able to go back to the well and say, do it in a big spot, do it in a big spot. Every day you're out there, do it in a big spot. Like it's the trope that he's been doing since Jody Reed was playing for the Boston Red Sox in 1981. But I mean, it's so crazy to me. Like it's so well-suited that his style of argument is so timeless. And the best part was seeing Stephen A. Smith. Nobody had more fun than him. Nobody had more fun than Stephen A. Because you could see the joy on his face, (laughs) like just kind of being like, Oh yes, finally, finally, I have met my counterbalance.
1: I mean, that's maybe the best part is that obviously Stephen A signed on for this. You know, I can't imagine many first-take guests are booked without his go on that. He is the man over at the four-letter network. And you could, as you said, you could see it. You could see when Russo went on his first rant about Harden and Smith, instead of launching right into his response rant, took the time to tell Russo off about exactly who he's debating and to (laughs) stop looking at Molly Karam Rose is incredible. It was so good. And then he launches right into the debate. And that's the best part is that these guys, I mean, it seems like they like each other whatever, but they love arguing with each other. There is such a just utter joy in what they are doing. They both know what they're doing. They both understand it and they both completely unleashed themselves over the smallest of topics. It is premier television.
0: I think it was immediately apparent from the first segment too, if you want to talk about this is that having a counterbalance like that on set raised Smith's game as well, because he was locked in, he was engaged. He was listening and ready to pounce on any single element. And here's the magic of these two's chemistry. The person talking is not the most interesting person on the screen because the reaction shots in this may, may as well come from like gifmaker.com or whatever. It's just constant meme. So you don't look at the person talking even though they're wildly gesticulating their hands. Like Russo is conducting an invisible symphony the philharmonic it's fantastic but you have to watch it the person listening because they both have such expressive and emotive faces that that's the real show it's kind of like they're both doing an impression of jim carrey mid-1990s of just trying to contort their face in any direction and in way possible and it's so interesting because it's the opposite of what we see on television right? It's, it's like most of the time the person sitting there is passively listening and kind of just being a non-factor and actually trying not to distract or stand in the way. But on first take with Russo and Smith, it's kind of like they're both college basketball fans behind the basket, frantically waving their hands, trying to distract the other guy. So, Tremendous amount of gamesmanship right from the get go and you can tell that they both really want to win which is so cool because they've achieved so much and yet they're like an athlete where they go out there and they want to be on top of the scoreboard at the end of the day.
1: The competition absolutely drives them. And you're very right. When you watch those two on the side-by-side screenshots that they split into for 60 seconds, it goes through the full range of emotions. Like at a sports game where the camera goes from happy fan to sad fan to happy fan to sad fan. And I don't think at ESPN there is a better duo in terms of that on screen, just basically the situational comedy. Like most of the time you have to wait for Stephen A. Smith to say something inane for the other person to get like a stank face going or whatever, but for every other like sentence for these guys, they're, they're reacting exactly like you probably are at home listening to the average Stephen A. And well, even more so, I mean, you, you, had, we all react, but none of us feel as strongly as Russo is going to feel about what Stephen A said, but it is that the art of the competition, the art of debate, that's what drives these guys. That's what these guys really, I mean, that's, why they're at the top of their professions. It's why Stephen A. Smith probably works 21 hours in a day, and why Russo has been at the top of the radio game for so long. And watching them clash, I mean, you said it best at the beginning, they are titans, they are titans of their respective industries, and it is just majesty at work.
0: No joke, man, it felt like a Marvel movie, you know, where it was like yeah. superhero after superhero coming out. And I know that like maybe part of this is people being ironic about how much they enjoyed it or were looking forward to it or wanted to make it a pro wrestling spectacle or like a UFC pay-per-view. But I watched it this morning at 6 a.m. And I was howling with laughter, Liam, like earnest, honest belly laughter at what I was seeing on my computer screen because it was so entertaining. Like I went into it kind of being like, all right, well, there's it's going to lose its luster after a little bit and lose steam. And we're going to get to that in the next segment because this wasn't a total home run. But from the get-go, the high it brought me on, the ridiculousness, like there's nothing on television. And I say that as someone who has become a nerd to these shows, who thinks they're largely stupid, who understands what they're trying to do. But once a week, I'm going to tune in for that candy, man, because it is great to laugh and enjoy and just go on the magical ride and really see two people who are operating at a level that's like a Hollywood actor and going tit for tat about it. It almost feels like this delicate improv dance where they're going to find comedy, but they're also going to like kind of get to some substance and it's going to elicit some anger some frustration, it's going to take you on the gamut of emotional journeys. Speaking of that, the next segment is kind of where things slowed a bit momentum-wise as they tuned to discuss Ben Simmons' mental health and the Brooklyn Nets. They brought on Jay Williams. I don't understand. That's a decision that can't be made again. You have Russo and Smith. You keep those two on the screen the whole time. We don't need a third voice. No one cares what Jay Williams has to say on this Wednesday. He can come on any of the four days of the week. The conversation requires a level of nuance. That's not going to elicit anything entertaining or controversial. Largely, they were on the same side of the topic. But when you study what some of them have said in the past about the issue, you can kind of see like the hypocrisy if you want to be cynical Or the growth in learning that mental health is health, but really as a sports segment as a whole, the Ben Simmons thing, and I wrote about this the other day on the site, it's really tough to discuss right now until he starts playing and we can judge him on the court. I thought it was kind of a misstep for them to dive right into it. I know it's a big story, but nobody is going to be coming to first take for their mental health takes or should be going to first take for their mental health takes. I think everybody who's watching the show kind of saw that as an unnecessary diversion and then bringing Williams in seemed like an odd choice to lose all the steam that they had built up in the beginning block.
1: Yeah, I think that's the most important point is that bringing on Williams really did feel like the train was going at full speed and then it had to make an emergency stop, especially with Russo. Stephen A. Smith, you know, he's obviously used to the show. He can change gears really, really quickly. And that's part of what makes him such a great sports personality. And I'm not saying Russo can't do that, but I think Russo is a little bit more used to changing, uh, changing speeds kind of on his own time. and. To shoehorn in this segment and bring on a third person, I mean, he kind of faded into the background for the majority of this discussion when he did chime in. It was to say stuff like, we don't know if we could trust Ben Simmons on the mental health issue, which, you know, he just shouldn't be in a position to say that on first take at 11 a.m. on Wednesday, you know? And I mean, they'll, you know, they'll get better at it. Production meetings will get a little bit more, uh, more specific and they'll, learn what topics don't need to be discussed during the Russo section of first take. But I do think that it's an important balance to strike because ultimately you don't have Russo is not an ESPN employee. He's just coming on to appear on this one show for two hours every week. And that's, that's it. You got to take advantage of this time. And that doesn't necessarily mean don't bring on a third personality. I'm more with you that they should just keep Smith and Russo on there. But I think that there are some personalities at ESPN who could maybe join the crew there but when Williams was brought on they felt obligated to give him his 10-minute block where he talked most of the time which relegates Russo who's half the reason a lot of people are going to be tuning in on Wednesdays going forward into the background not perfect for the first run but I do think that ESPN was safe from themselves a little bit because of what we talked about with how quickly Russo and Smith can get back up to full speed as soon as Williams went off they started talking about the Dallas Cowboys and (laughs) Russo set Stephen A. Smith off by asking him with complete sincerity if he thought Dak Prescott was better than Kirk Cousins. Stephen A. Smith lost his mind like very few other people on first take have have been able to make and lose his mind since Kellerman left. It was, you know, it's just an immediate pivot. It shows you how great these guys can be and how quickly they can turn it around, even if there's some what we would perceive as uh, mistakes and kind of how they set up the show.
0: That's exactly my point. They brought Williams on because Williams has been open about his own personal feelings, struggles he's had emotionally, mentally. They wanted to give someone who had credibility the ball in that segment to discuss that. But I I think what we're both saying is why not do that this morning, Thursday morning, when you don't have Russo? Because it just kind of takes away – from everything and i think including that conversation like i don't think that if you're a show like first take you necessarily have a journalistic imperative to tackle the biggest stories of the day even when russo's not there i think you're there for 120 minutes of entertainment right i don't think that people need for you to dive into the real world issues as opposed to like doing what's entertaining now i don't say that for every show but first take is a unique animal. Great point about pivoting when they started talking about the Dallas Cowboys because that was probably the clip that went the most viral yesterday. I thought uh, you bring the biggest story in sports media, which is always the Dallas Cowboys who have been delivering the content and the goods and the disaster, especially this year, you throw in Stephen A. Smith who like skip Bayless has attached himself to the story in a way that he's part of the story. Perfect concoction. You know, he, he gets some bonafides for standing up for Prescott, but I think what's so funny about this. And I tweeted it is they are screaming and yelling And ready to go at each other's throats over the ninth or eleventh best quarterback in the NFL, as if it was a tense moment in the Situation Room and someone was about to unilaterally enter the launch codes on Russia. Like it's so wild that the audacity, the intimidating, the like it—they just go to like this Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, the best mic work they can possibly do over someone having the temerity or the audacity to say that the 13th best quarterback is better than the 11th or some shit that doesn't matter or like can't be proven and they are debating it going absolutely wild like how do you possibly have the energy And I think it's more reflective of like what the masses, what the public is going to want to consume. The public wants to have that argument, man. And it drives me crazy because like, who cares? Like there's games going on, but they would rather debate like who's in your top 12, who's in your top 14. It's like, I don't walk around with a goddamn list in my pocket all the time. Like who are the public that do that? And yet all the content is kind of like, catering to them because there's something fun and there's something freeing and just going ballistic about something that doesn't need to be gone ballistic about especially and I will get serious here for a moment because it's like that argument has no stakes at all and you can just enjoy it enjoy it for what it is, which is the sake of the argument, instead of what we're doing on the other 23 hours of the day. And that's at each other's throats about stuff that actually matters. So maybe there's some brilliance in kind of like the absurdity and it taps into something emotionally freeing for people who just want to see a dumbass argument that used to be like the staple of, of sports radio, free of any type of real world impact.
1: And that's the key is that these guys both, make themselves care that much like it's you can feel it through the screen that they are legitimately upset about the number 11 quarterback on each other's list they cannot understand the unmitigated gall that led <laughs> them to this point I do think that Stephen A. Smith and Mad Dog Russo together is what The average person who, unlike us, does not watch this for work and just kind of walks by the screen when it's on at the bar or they have it just, you know, they're flipping through ESPN on Friday morning because they're bored. This is what they think sports talk debate is like. Both of these men just shouting at each other over the most minuscule differences in their opinions on matters that have no standing in the real world at all. And for the most part... That's not there's a little bit more nuance to it, but with Stephen A and Mad Dog, that's exactly what it is. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's what made that's what made it so fun for me watching it yesterday. I watched it live and I was just watching them just yell at each other about Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins. I was like, this is this is great. And then they would go quiet, and then I would get distracted because I have a job to do. And then suddenly my ears would perk up because you could feel the pressure building you could feel the way that they structured their speeches and the tone of their voices so that it reached a pressure point and then the other one reached the same pressure point and then everything explodes over nothing at all it's just I mean it's a little bit I wouldn't go so far as to say it's smooth brain content but it's as close as it's going to get when it comes to sports television outside of highlight reels you know
0: yeah, and it feels like comfort food to me because I think that that's what you're describing is something that we've lost in a lot of ways. Like local radio has really struggled. Everything has kind of been homogenized uh, to a national level. The conversation has largely got smarter, but I will say this, even as a very evolved person who you know reads poetry, uh, is considerate about uh, international politics. Who is a naturalist and and loves learning about what type of trees, uh, botany, uh, doing gardening, and, and also you know being a, a great husband and, and parent. Sometimes I just want to get in my car and hear a bunch of dumbasses yelling at each other about why a team melted in the fourth quarter last night. Like, I, I, there's just something about like that lizard brain where you're just like, this is really good to just hear two yahoos going nuts. And getting really mad and like getting you mad in the car well like, yeah johnson does suck he is terrible i want i want adams you fire him the whole front office including thomas throw him out of his ass too like that is just that feels like comfort food and it feels like something that i miss in my life in very small doses and i think setting this up for once a week where it's just like all right we're going all in we're going to lean into this because i can't wait the next episode you gave me a little bit of it and i was just like you know what i think i'm i think i'm in i think i'm really interested in what you're selling and i'm ready to give that the commitment of two hours a week i'm not going to give it 15 i'm not going to give it 20 because i don't i don't want to turn out to be whatever you turn into when you consume that content all the time but for the low stakes for like the small doses i'm totally in i want to get to my favorite moment of the whole show and it's when they debated whether Aaron Donald was the best defensive player of all time. And it was a small one that didn't get much pickup. I was looking for a clip this morning. I know that Peter Schrager noticed it and tried to get uh, Jimmy Traina to post it. But I, as of, as of recording, it is not out. Russo dips deep into the bag and brings up Bob Lilly. Like Bob Lilly, who I looked was elected to the NFL hall of fame in 1980, was born in like 1934. I don't really know his credentials. I'm sorry, but it was so funny because it broke Stephen A's brain. Stephen A could not believe that someone was bringing up Bob Lilly, the 62 Packers in that moment. And It was incredible because it's like, we're going to be having this debate trying to capture like stoned 20 year olds who aren't going to their college class. And we're going to bring up Bob Lilly, a man who was elected to the pro football hall of fame before Reagan was inaugurated. Like Stephen A. Smith even said, yeah, you got me on the Bob Lilly one. I wasn't ready for the Bob Lilly conversation today, but it didn't stymie the show. It didn't feel musty. It doesn't feel like there's mothballs because he can have these ancient references and Russo could dive into like something that happened when the Pittsburgh pirates failed to turn a five, four, three, double play uh, in June in 1976 and go on a tangent about, but they should have changed a slide rule. And it's like, but it doesn't feel that dated because to him, it feels like the past and the present kind of converge into one. And he has evolved. He's follows every single sport to this day closely, but he kind of contextualizes what's going on in a way that we don't in our current prisoner of the moment society ever do. And I'm not saying he's right to bring up Bob Lilly. And I'm not saying we need to be having the Bob Lilly topic on on the rundown of all of these shows. But I actually, when you move past the humor of it and Stephen A's reaction, because it's so out of left field on one of these shows in their current format, there's actually kind of some depth and some layering in there that shows just how arbitrary in Prisoner of the Moment, the shiniest thing is the best ever. It kind of actually highlights the hyperbole that there could have been someone who played 50 years ago that 98% of people at home have never heard of, and yet the guy they just saw on Sunday in their mind has to be the greatest because history started three weeks ago.
1: I think the best part about that particular discussion for me was that while Stephen A. Smith was struggling with the Bob Lilly uh, mention, Russo just kept shrieking mean Joe Green over and over again. Yeah, And
0: Stephen yeah. A. Smith, for like six minutes, was like, mm hmm. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. you got me on Mean joe green but the thing that also tickled me about that particular discussion was that it was a more somehow more absurd reflection of the discourse that we had seen in the immediate aftermath of the super bowl like i went deep in on random twitter replies where men were arguing passionately that alan page was the greatest defensive lineman in history like you expect reggie white you expect Lawrence taylor This dude's talking about Alan Page and then Russo takes that, takes it a step further and then legitimately, passionately believes that he is correct and presents pretty well-structured arguments to suggest that he is correct. And so it's out of left field, like you said, but it's out of left field, but he contextualizes it well and it's not so out of left field that it makes no sense, it is right on the edge. It is right on the border of making no sense, but he still contextualizes it to the point where it does make some sense. And that's what sets him apart from the random guy on Twitter, is that he'll take that thought where you're like, who's the most unusual person I can make an argument for, take it further, and then convince himself that he is correct, and then show up to work and just spew fire
0: yeah, I, I, I'm i just, you know, I know that we have been so complimentary and excited about what's going on and I don't want to overstate how good this was, but man, I really enjoyed it. Like, and if I didn't, I would be sitting here and I'd be like, yeah, that was kind of fun for a little bit, but it delivered on all my expectations. And I think that that's kind of a rarity these days where I was like, you know what? It lived up to the hype. And more than that, I think that the next episode will live up to the hype because what we saw and we can move the conversation to the reaction of everybody that was watching it right now is Twitter was on fire. And I listened to the Levitard show every day. They basically had a reporter watching the show reporting on what happened on their air because they decided that that was, more interesting than whatever they were going to do that day. And I felt like that was kind of what was going on. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was enjoying it. Even like some of the cranky people that you see, see never say anything positive were sharing it and being like, we've reached Nirvana right now. And it was an event in a way that I knew this announcement came out maybe two weeks ago. I remember getting it in my inbox. I sent it out, got a lot of interest got a lot of pickup the next day. And sure enough, they built this into appointment television. It's going to continue to be appointment television because I can't imagine a time where the returns are going to diminish to diminish to the point where there's not going to be five or six viral clips, which honestly is all the networks care about anymore. Like you want to talk about a factory for, a viral clip that's going to go out there. Like we basically shut our website down in the morning yesterday and said, Hey, we're all watching this and we need to be reacting to it because we knew it was going to be the biggest event of the week. And I really think there's a chance it's going to continue to be the biggest event of the sports media week until maybe it loses its luster. So what did you see from people as they were consuming it in real time Was it a positive experience and what do you think the runway is here before maybe it comes back to reality a bit?
1: I thought that the reception was, it was very similar to you. You know, we probably kind of exist in the same little realm of uh, sports media uh, analysis on Twitter and people, people liked it. And, you know, listeners to this podcast might think that we've been lauding the praises and not critiquing too much, but I mean, the overall tone and vibe of the reception that I found on my Twitter feed and one that I agree with is that this is just for fun. It is not that serious. These guys are arguing about, I mean, the Ben Simmons discussion again, out of place and was a little bit more meaningful than arguing about Dak Prescott versus Kirk Cousins. But outside of like that sort of, you know, the occasional forays into something, the occasional forays into serious territory, it was just fun. It was two guys yelling about sports much in the same way that we all have done with our friends over the years but they were louder and cared a lot more about it and so that's just where I come down on it is that this is fun because it's supposed to be fun they are bringing on Russo because they thought it would be fun to see him argue with Stephen A. Smith and they were correct it is very fun as far as the runway goes I think that These guys can make something out of nothing in the doldrums of the sports season. I actually think that that might make for their best television. I don't think that having Russo on the Wednesday after the Western Conference Finals to talk about how the Suns are repeating as Western Conference champions is going to have as much impact or as many viral clips or even be as enjoyable as what they're going to talk about on July 27th. After the Giants lost to the Cardinals, their fourth and fifth games, and Stephen A. Smith just tees Mad Dog up to let him riff. There's only so far the luster can fall. I think that these guys are so good at their job that there's a baseline of entertainment that's basically going to exist where you are just kind of like, "This is fine." I don't think it's going to devolve into "This is bad," but I think it's more or less indefinite. It's just about how long until how long these guys want to do it, how long Russo wants to do it. And I think that for the average viewer, they might get tired of it a little bit quicker than normal just because these two are the embodiment of shout debate on sports TV, which is a divisive topic to say the least as far as entertainment value goes. But for the people who like that, for the people who enjoy that, for the people who know that they tune into First Take specifically for those kind of moments, it's as good as it's going to get.
0: Yeah, early returns on this is, it's magic. It's super fun. I look forward to the next episode. We're probably gonna do a recap after every single show, if only to try to get some of the content out there. We only have so much space on the written website. We have to move over to the audio form to really blow this thing out and to put it in its proper context. Great to see them back on television. Maybe next time we can dive into the substance of some of their arguments, but I really think it was cool to talk about why we enjoyed it, why it worked, the genius of putting these two together. I had so much fun. And really, anytime we can celebrate those moments, especially on a sports shouting show, we're going to do it. He was Liam McCune. I'm Kyle Coster. This is my podcast. A small programming alert. There may be a small break in podcast posting over the next week as we add to our growing baseball team over here at the Coster household, expecting a new addition. We're looking at this prospect to play maybe third base, maybe some corner outfield. We'll have to see what his particular skill set is, but I will be taking some time when he arrives stepping away from the important business of talking sports media. I hope you understand. Please get your fix at best of seven. Keep reading the website. Maybe I'll do a live recording from the delivery room. Probably not. I will have to check with local regulations on that, but then again, it's better to ask for forgiveness than beg for permission. Kyle Coster, Kyle Coster show. He's Liam McCune. See ya.